In this episode, Rabbi Ari and Pastor Danielle discuss the next chapter in their Genesis series, chapter 4, the story of Cain and Abel. We discover again the sacredness of life, the vision of human responsibility, and the call of the scriptures to see ourselves in these ancient characters. Something from nothing, tying up your camel, and being my brother and sister's keeper. This week on The Rabbi and a Pastor, Walked In. We today are going to be diving into the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. And uh, I want to start off a little bit about the uh, beginning of the chapter. It starts at the continuation of the story of the Garden of Eden in the previous chapter. They ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they noticed the first thing they knew was that they were naked. And so... Basically, they knew they were nude. They knew they were nude. <laughs> they renewed that information, and they um, they learned both moral knowledge and carnal knowledge. Mm-hmm. And this is not always emphasized in commentary, but the Torah itself emphasizes in that the first word is The first phrase is ha'adam yada et et chava ishto. The Adam knew. His, his woman, Hava, Eve, Vatahar Vateleg. And she got pregnant and she gave birth. And so knowing in a biblical sense, which is usually a joke, um, is exactly what is talking about. That is, we talked about how the Garden of Eden was, some people see it the fall and some people see it as a spring, like me. That is, it was their coming of age. And so they have come of age. They are now mature, ripe human beings, and they can make more human beings. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Chava says when she gives birth. She says, Kaniti ish et Adonai. I have gained, acquired a man, her son, with God. Mm-hmm. So she learned, they both learn about their bodies. They both learn other things about the world. And they learn how to make babies. Right, right. That um, concept of knowing is a lot bigger than just like, oh, yeah, I know him. Right, it's it's more than just that. Right, it's uh, it can it can have that connotation of an intimate knowledge as well as an intellectual understanding and emotional knowledge. And it's it's a fuller word than it is in English, the way we use it in the Hebrew. That's right, and so um, it's I'd like to get to know you better. <laughs> Gives a whole new meaning to that phrase too. Um, the, one of the misfortunes in the translation is calling their son, their second son, Abel, because that. And English as a word means right. very capable. Something to be capable, right? Something I'm able to do that. That's right. But in Hebrew, his name is nothing. Uh, or hevel. fui, or a breath. It's the first uh, phrase in the book of Ecclesiastes, hevel havalim, haval havalim. Nothing of nothings, nothings of nothings, everything's nothing. Usually translated as vanity, but vanity is not exactly what it means. As a matter of fact, it's not anything what it means, mm-hmm. unless you say it's a vain hope, it's a nothing hope. Right. So it's not vanity in the sense of looking at like, yourself like in being the mirror. Vain. No, right. exactly. It's a matter of nothing. It's just nothingness. All is nothing. So is this a name you would have picked had you had a son? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, this is my my son. Nothing is my son. Something. So I'm, <laughs> no, maybe I would not he's nothing now. Maybe when he grows up, he'll be something. He'll be something then. <laughs> Such a something he'll be. Right. This is not a name that we would use for anyone today, and and yet you're exactly correct. Like in 
in the English as it comes through, it's like, oh, that's a nice name. I might call somebody Abel, but it's not the biblical name. No, it's unable, if anything. And if anything, right? Just nothingness. I got to tell you a stupid joke. Okay. So in Yiddish, the word for nothing is gurnished. And uh, so there's a joke about a rabbi who goes on the high holy days on Yom Kippur. He's atoning. He says, I'm nothing. Ich bin a gurnished. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. And the cantor sees the rabbi going, I'm nothing. So he goes up to there too and he says, I'm nothing. Ich, ich bin a gurnished. And Chaim Pipik, somebody from the back of the row, comes up and says, Ich bin a gurnished. And the cantor turns to the rabbi and says, Look who thinks he's gurnished. It's <laughs> <laughs> a stupid old joke. That's hilarious, though. <laughs> And it's funny, Jesus tells a parable about this. He talks a parable about, like, there's a Pharisee and a tax collector, and they go both go before God at the temple, and the tax collector comes before God and says, have mercy on me, a sinner, right? And starts with, like, the I'm nothing, mm-hmm. basically. And whereas the Pharisee's like, look how great I am <laughs> in the story. And he's like, which one is more accepted? Like, which, so that idea of how you approach yourself. But I don't think that we're supposed to become like Hevel, right? So if you think you're nothing, you're something. If, if you, you think, think you're really something, you're nothing. <laughs> that's right. Like, <laughs> Moses is the most humble man of all time. I know. That's my favorite line of the whole tour. <laughs> and he wrote the book. And so he, he wrote should the know. Book, right. <laughs> and to that end, then, who would name their child this? So is this his given name? Or is this a beautiful literary foreshadowing of what is about to happen to Abel in this story? I'm pretty sure that it's it's... It was written in such a way as to tell you what's going to happen. Yeah. He came into the world and he left the world pretty much. His name was Gurnished, basically. His name was nothing. Nothing. Yeah, his and breath. His, and his brothers, well, it's not breath, because right. breath would be right. something. Right. I mean, that's what they say. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a pleading wind. Right. Um, his brother's name is Acquisition, because mm-hmm. his mother says, I have acquired a man, and his, and his name is Kyan. Right. And Kyan is the word to buy or to acquire or to get. Mm-hmm. And um, and so he is acquisition, and his brother is nothing garnished. Mm-hmm. And in that right there is a, uh, a, a kind of a lesson because it's as if somebody's saying, I'm going to acquire everything. I'm going to become rich. Right. And the other one says, eh, I got nothing. <laughs> I, I don't care. Right. It's fine right. with me. Right. And, and we were talking about this, too, in, the, in light of other biblical stories, right? Like the story of Ruth and Naomi and Naomi's children, and doesn't really give her sons good names that would indicate they're going to have a really strong future going forward. Nope. No, she Machlon names and Kilion. Right. Which means sickness and death. <laughs> well, sickness and extermination. Things we miss in the English when we read it, right? But if we were sitting down with a group of people telling a story or a group of kids, and you said, well, there's these two boys that are born, and one is named Sicky and one named Death. <laughs> They're like, oh, that's not going to be good. Sicky and Daddy. Oh, come over here, Sicky. Right, right. Daddy, say hello to Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> All of that. I'm sorry, we're having too much fun today. Exactly. So Abel, and I, think, I think everyone else will be having fun too. So Cain and Abel then start this little bit of story, and Abel has a job. He's going to keep the flocks, and Cain's going to work the soil. Yep. Does, do you think Cain's already bitter because he's already found out from the previous chapter that working the soil is going to be extra hard? <laughs> you know, that I'm sure that that's intended. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also, this is kind of like the, the in Oklahoma, you know, the, the cowboy and the farmer can be mm-hmm. friends. The farmer and the cowboy can be friends. And that's what we have here, the farmer and the cowboy and their brothers. Um, and also the idea of milk and honey. Like when we talk about... I'll, stay with me now. Sit tight. Right. <laughs> when we talk about a land of milk and honey... That's a land that's enough for both the shepherd and the farmer because the milk is coming from sheep and goats and herds. Right. And the honey, we know we think of primarily 
bee honey, but that's also dependent upon pollination and flowers and everything. But most often in the Bible, or, or frequently at least, at least as often, honey can be used for dates. Dates honey. The yeah. honey that comes from dates. Right. Yes. So you need to, or even fig, right? So this type of like honey that's coming from a date or even just all of the goodness that you get from the fruit. So when you talk about going into the land of Israel and the land of milk and honey, it's enough for both to avoid the conflict that we're going to have, right? That's enough land good. for both the shepherd and the farmer. There's another... Um, understanding of milk and honey so go to honey as bee honey mm-hmm. and what do milk and honey have in common baby food mm. honey is what bees feed their babies mm-hmm. and milk is obviously what we all mammals feed our babies mm-hmm. and so it's a land of milk and honey it's a great place to raise your kids it's a great place it also sounds sticky <laughs> <laughs> you can wash it off with the milk <laughs> right right i want to go back to one other thing because yeah. Adam yada et chava ishto. The the man or the human right. earthling knew chava life. So the earthling knew life, right. which is an interesting the human, trend. Right? The, the, the human hum- knew or the earthling right. knew life. Chava mm-hmm. means Eve mm-hmm. means life. Ishto. Most translations say his wife. It's not mm-hmm. his wife. There mm-hmm. was no ceremony. He was be. If it's anything, it's his mate. But the word is his woman. Right. Because that's the word for. A married person is still a woman. Mm-hmm. She didn't stop being one when she got married. Right. And so um, to read wife into this is to try to add a level of morality, which is right, right. totally uh, They didn't have a courthouse. There. There's not a... There's nothing there. No chapel. No little white church. No, if anything, God was the... God was the person presiding over the wedding. That's right. But there wasn't any wedding. <laughs> no. But they knew each other. And they knew what to do. <laughs> right. All right. So then going forward, um, you know, Abel's keeping the goats and Cain is taking care of the soil. And there is that difficulty of the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brings some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought the fat portions from he some of the, the firstborn born of and his the flock. Fat, and this is a problem. Right. And here's the problem. Obviously, the text is stressing that Hevel, Gurnished, brought the best things. Right. The fatty parts. Of course, you know, if you, today, fatty parts are not necessarily the same. It was appreciated the same way, but that is the flavorful part. Right. And those are the parts that were ultimately offered on the altar. Mm-hmm. Specifically talks about that word. Mm-hmm. But in this case, you also have the question of how did he get the fatty parts of the sheep? How? how? He killed them. So this is our first... Our first shedding killing. of animal blood. That's right. And so the question is, was, was Hevel, was Gurnish totally innocent? Mm-hmm. Or did he start the cycle of violence right. that his brother then bought into? Right. Now, I'm not trying to rehabilitate Cain. Um, right. I'm just trying to say that Hevel was the first killer. Now, what we do not know is who killed before that. I mean, were they actually eating meat? Because... God did not give human beings permission to eat meat, at least explicitly, until Genesis 9, verses 2 through 4. Right. After Noah and his family get off the boat. And I can hear the argument immediately, which is, well, remember, though, that God did clothe Adam and Eve with the skins, with garments of skin. But you're going to argue that those were the snake skins. That's right. Why would God kill an animal just to put clothes on a sinner? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, really. Right. I mean... 
Um, but also, you know, this is why Jews got into the garment business. So <laughs> no, it's not, yeah, nothing to do with it at all. Begged to cover up with the clothing, right? Cover I mean, up the clothing, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so here they are, and and Cain's offering is not accepted. Yes, and it's a funny word for accepted. It means basically to spend time. Hmm. Uh, which is the word for an hour. Uh, God God spent time with it. We don't know what God did right. to indicate some approval hmm. or acceptance mm-hmm. of this thing. By the way, it's what they offered God was a mincha, and that's the that's a term for a grain sacrifice in Leviticus chapter 2. But it's not the word grain. It comes from the word nacha, which is to put. So when God put the human, vayanichehu, God mm-hmm. put Adam in the garden in the previous chapters. Mm-hmm. It means to put. And a mincha also is used as a tribute offering to a ruler. And it's not so much as a, it's not the word tribute either. It's the word to put. And what you're doing is you're putting their spirit at rest. Hmm. You're appeasing them. So it's an appeasement offering. Hmm. And the question is, was God acting angrily? Were the people sensing that God was hmm. angry? Interesting. And we don't know. I mean, there's so many details. Right. What I say? There are so few details and so many questions in this Right, thing. right. I think that's the problem immediately, right? Yeah. That this is a story but that is not a story that's comprehensive or giving us and and we're going to come to that very moment right so we don't we aren't exactly told why why does god look upon abel's offering with favor but cain's offering without we aren't told why we can make a guess we can say well not how right we can say well it wasn't the first fruits of the soil right he gives them some right maybe it really likes the fat Right, right, right. What, what was it? But it doesn't really matter in whatever, for whatever reason, he does not look on Cain's offering with favor. And then Cain's response is to be angry. And pout. And pout. blew Panov and his face right. fell. Which is also a choice, right? Like if, if I gave you a gift, Ari and I was, you know, really hoping you would like it. And you were like, oh, okay, thanks. I can get hurt. And think, well, that was like a really terrible response. Or I can come say, hey, could you, I, I wanted to give you something you really liked, and you seem to not like that. Can you tell me, you know, what could I do to improve upon the offering, right? Cain doesn't have that conversation either. No. Right? He doesn't ask any way. He just goes away angry and pouts. And in this kind of situation, the question is, how old were they? Yeah. We don't know how old they were. Well, they're not toddlers. They're not toddlers, no. They're having to till the soil and take care of sheep, right? So but even I've if, seen kids do that around sure, the world. Sure, sure, yeah. So yeah. I don't know how old they were and how able to... Of course, the conversation you have with Cain later, right. a guy with Cain, is a little bit more it Sounds more like adult. he's more of an adult. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so then the Lord, you know, God asked Cain, right? Why yep. are you angry and why is your face fallen? <laughs> Which also seems like a good a good entry point for a conversation, right? But if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, then sin desires, right, is crouching at your door and desires to have you. But you can control it. But you can control it. Which feels like a very empowering thing to say. It is a very powerful thing. By the way, uh, this phrase here that sin crouches at the door, Mm -hmm. this is why abortion is permitted. Hmm. Now, it's like, what? <laughs> because sin is considered to be the animal urge, the yetzer hara, the, the evil intent, the bad intent. Hmm. 
Basically, we have two intents, the superego and the id. The Mm -hmm. id is our animal stuff, and that's the yetzer hara. And we have the superego, that's our angelic intent, which Mm -hmm. is the yetzer hato, the good intent. And when does a person get an evil intent? And the rabbis say, when you're connected to your mother's womb, umbilically, you've only got your good intent to the, some extent. You've got mm-hmm. nothing. You've got no needs. You have no animal needs mm-hmm. that are not being met. And mm-hmm. only when you are born, sin crouches at the door and mm-hmm. its desires toward you. And that's when you become fully human, mm-hmm. a full person. Mm-hmm. You're not a full person until you're born. And therefore, one may uh, abort or even dissect if you have to to get the baby out if it's about to kill the mother Hmm. until the head's out at which time it's born too Mm. and so that's what jewish law draws a line of it's not a matter of when is life from conception it's when is a person a full person and the answer is when they're disconnected from the mother's body and are no longer uh having all their needs met and have their own animal urges begin to take over right so it's only when you learn how to sin do you become the a full full person person. Hmm. In in Christianity, there's a very strong attachment to verses like in Psalm 139, right? I knew you before when you were in your mother's womb. Yep. And so those are the, the passages that I think are indications of, you know, value of life prior to the birth itself. It's not that there's no value to right. life. No, of course so you're not. not a human being. Right. It's just that this consider says you're considered to be Yerech Imo. Uh, a, a, a ubar, a fetus, is considered to be Yerech Imo. Yerech is a thigh, but basically an organ of the mother. Hmm. So it's just like a an internal organ. Right. And yet in the Torah, there's some pretty strong uh, laws against somebody harming a woman that is pregnant. Yes. Right? Well, no. Oh. Yes and no. So in Exodus 21, you have the laws of murder. Mm-hmm. And I would actually say the laws of homicide. Right. Because murder is a defini- is one kind of homicide. Right. You know, self-defense is another kind of homicide, right. but it's not, per- you know, it's not bad. Um do not kill. Right. Well, but it's, that's a bad translation. It's do no, no. not commit homicide. Right, right. So I was thinking of, for people who are listening and want some fun, they can go online on YouTube and type in, the Jews are coming, the Ten Commandments, and then they'll see this conversation about do not kill. And then it's this funny Israeli comedy, but the conversation is, well, what about the Amalekites? And what about this? And I what know, about that? Right. people so, that you commanded us to right. kill. So that, right, so that homicide by itself is killing a human being, and there's permitted homicide, there's mandatory homicide, mm. and there is... Mm prohibited mm-hmm. homicide yeah and um interesting so it says that if you kill somebody even inadvertently right you deserve death unless you can run off to a, a sanctuary city right city of refuge and um and if you get it there and the uh go el hadam the blood avenger doesn't catch you on the way and kill you then you can stay there but the thing is it's still called retzach it's still called homicide right and you, and you deserve death but if two men are fighting near a pregnant woman and they smack her and her children, it says Yeladeha, and her children go out or mm. born this mm. way, you know, and but Lohayason, and there would be not and there would not be a catastrophe, and it doesn't say what the catastrophe is, but it's assumed to be, and this is the problem right, with this right. verse, it's really, really difficult, the death of the mother. If they don't kill the mother, then they've only killed a fetus. If they've only killed a fetus, then they haven't killed a person. If they haven't killed a person, then the punishment for this act fits the crime, which is they're fined. Hmm. 
the husband and the judges can impose a monetary fine on the people mm. who knocked the babies out of the womb, mm. but and presumably killed them, but they're not liable to the death penalty, which would distinguish it both right, from right, intentional right. homicide and unintentional homicide. Right. And that's why Exodus 21, 21, and 22 is permission to do an abortion right. if you need to. Hmm. Fascinating. Because if a baby is killing the mother, then it's called a rodef, and it's not like a pursuer, and it's like every other person trying to take your life, and you're you're, you're supposed right. to kill the person That's to keep them to, to take to take, right. Well, this brings us to if our, you have to. back to Cain and Abel, of course. Right. With our next verse, really, this now Cain says to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they're out in the field, Cain attacks his brother and Abel, Abel and kills him. Does now, that say let's go to the field? Yeah, of course, this is terrible, right, translation. So you give us the right okay, one. Okay, so, right, because, <laughs> <that's> right, <laughs> because um, verse 8 starts off, Vayomer Cain el Cain said to his brother Gernished. Right. His, and then it doesn't say anything. Right. And then it says, Vahiba he had Tampa Sade. And when they were in the field. And when they were in the field. And when they were in the field. So it didn't say, let's go let's to go the, out field. the field. So somebody put that. Is that the King so, James? It's, this is the NIV, the nearly NIV. inerrant version. <laughs> um, so so uh, the commentary actually talks about, like the JPS Torah commentary says. Jewish Publication Society. Right. Yeah. Jewish Publication Society commentary on the book of Genesis, which is wonderful and, and people should read it. Like Cain says to his brother Abel, but then we don't know what he says. It's a dot, dot, dot. Dot, 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 right? But then in the field, and the word field, sade, they're saying here refers to the open, uninhabited country away from the settled areas, which is often the scene of a crime, inferred from Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 25, and also 2 Samuel 14. Who were they about looking at them? <laughs> <laughs> right, but like those, back to your conversation about homicide and unintended homicide, yeah. and, and even and rape out in the field and all these other things, right? There's things that could happen in the field, in the uninhabited areas that weren't happening in the city where there wasn't a witness. And so all of these other conversations of like, how do you work all of this out? This is all also included in the Torah. But here, like there's just a sort of, well, not really let's go out to the field, but instead just Cain says to his brother Abel <laughs> something. It. And now, now they're in the field. And why are they getting angry? Now, per partially, maybe it's still this jealousy or envy that Cain had because Gernish got his sacrifice looked at. Right. The first worship war. The first worship war, yeah. I learned that from you today. <laughs> um, and here they are in the field. What's, what goes on in the field? Well, in the field, Cain plants crops. Mm. In the field, Gernished shepherds his flocks. <laughs> no one's going to know that you're talking about Abel. Abel, right. So, <laughs> the Yiddish word Gernished. I know, if you say Abel, he's like Mr. Right. Capable, but, you know, right. Mr. Hevel. Superhero. Hevel. Right. Um, but even then, nobody would know what Hevel is. So it's like Gernished. Yeah. I speak Yiddish better than Hebrew, Rob, I know. Okay, so, <laughs> but there they are in the field. And there you got possibly a scenario. Hevel's goats are nibbling Cain's plants. And Cain says, get your goats away from my plants. And Hevel says, they're hungry. Right. And then they argue over that. Maybe. I, I, there's nothing right. we don't know. We they don't were in know. the field and boink, he kills them. How did he kill him? How did he know how to do it? Right. Now, if Gurnish is out there sacrificing animals by killing them, then he can watch right. Hevel and see how he did it yeah. and do it the way he did it. And there must have been some knife involved because you can't slice the fat out unless you can slice the animal open. Hmm. 
So we don't know how he did it. And a lot of movies I see that try to portray this, use, he uses a rock. Right. And Iraq is still a difficult place today, so I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. Sorry. So, exactly. so he kills his brother. And I guess say one more thing about brother. Yes, please. So counting up the times that these names are mentioned, uh, Kain is mentioned 13 times in, this, in these uh, first eight verses, nine verses. Um, and, and Hevel is mentioned seven times. And brother is mentioned seven times. Mm-hmm. So brother and and Abel are mentioned the same number of times. As a matter of fact, in this verse here, where they these three verses eight and nine and ten, um, Cain kill uh, Cain said to Hevel his brother. Then they went out and got Cain went to Hevel his brother, and then he said, God said to Cain, "Where is Hevel your brother?" Mm-hmm. So to emphasize that it's your brother, it's your brother. Every time, almost every time that. Abel is mentioned. The word brother is also mentioned. When he was born, it was he gave right. birth to his brother, Abel, right. and so um, and so. Basically, reinforcing the notion, the lesson from this. The one clear thing is that every single murder is fratricide, it's fratricide. because there were only two people, and they mm-hmm. were brothers. Mm-hmm. So now there are, and it doesn't matter. We're all descended from the first human being. So right. any human being we kill. Is a sibling. Is, we're, right. We're taking the life of a sibling. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, it's a, a beautiful insight to recall that from first, also the principle of first occurrence, right? The first time anything occurs in the Bible, then that becomes sort of a marker as to how to, from that point forward, understand that context. So the first life that's taken is the life, quite literally, of a brother as well. That's why that's so important. And linguistically linked. Right. And linguistically linguistic. Hevel Achicha, Hevel Achiv. I mean, Hevel his brother, Hevel mm-hmm. his, your brother. It's just on and on and on and on and on. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that idea then of jealousy or anger or worship war or conflict between two brothers, this is going to set off the rest of our entire biblical story. Yep. Right. And from this point then, God shows up. And he says, where is your brother? Where is your brother, Hevel? It's like God talking to Adam and, and Eve, Eve in the garden. Where, are, where you? are you? Right. It's definitely an echo back to Genesis 3. And so now we have God again coming alongside and asking. Not, And it's not really the first question that God's been asking, right? Like, um, Why are you sad? Right. Why are your face falling? If you, you do what's right, yeah. will you not be accepted? Right? There, There's an option for you here. And I'm now warning you, but you can do something about this. This is happening in your life, but you can do something about it. So where is your brother? And then Cain says, I don't know. <laughs> Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? Which is not a bad translation. Right. But it's guard, actually. It's Am guard. I, Am I supposed guard? to guard him? Am I the guard life? of my brother? The answer is yes. Yes. The answer is yes. You are. I remember when my brother, who's two and a half years and, uh, younger than I am, and I were little, and we used to uh, sell newspapers on a street corner downtown near my father's mm-hmm. store, downtown St. Louis. And, you know, he's my little brother, and he would tag along, and I had to make sure that he was okay. And I was, I was you know, right. I was six, right. and he was three. Right, right. <laughs> and so I certainly was not an adult. But I had to watch my little brother. Mm-hmm. There we were downtown selling newspapers on the street corner, walking out in the street and handing a newspaper over for a nickel. <laughs> well, that and also the idea, of course, that the older child, I'm also the older sibling, um, had to bear more responsibility because they knew better. 
Right. You could know better than to not hit your sibling, right? Like you're supposed to know better. You're not supposed to hit them. So that relationship with Cain and Abel, it's not just starting the moment. We don't know what the relationship was like prior to this moment, but of course it's not starting this one moment when they're both old enough to finally make an offering to God. That's true. There's something that's a whole life that's been before this moment. And certainly Cain didn't only just find out that he had the capacity to hurt his brother or that he had the capacity to guard his brother. This is not new. This cannot be new information to Cain in this moment. No, I mean, having been a brother and having right. I have these boys living in the neighborhood next door and stuff and watching boys play more than girls. I have four girls. Um, watching boys play, it's a lot of rough and tumble. Right. So everybody knows that you, you know, wrestle, you smack each other, you do this, that, and <laughs> right. that. Right. I, I remember uh, several years ago, my sister was an adult, all of us adults, um, and and she, some one of her friends had sort of driven their car wonky off the driveway that was sort of a steep hill. And so the car had gotten like one wheel, back wheel off, and they needed people to sort of push the car up the hill to, to get back up to the driveway and to get it off of this, from tumbling all the way down. And all I could see was, people are going to stand behind this car. <laughs> and there's gravity. And they're going to try to push this car up, but it's a car, it's huge. And you're not going to get to do that. You're on a hill. The, the gravity and the mass of this car are going to win. And I could just only see, like, my picture, my sister under this car. And so I'm standing there, and I'm like, you guys, let's just call the tow truck. Like, we all have resources. Let's just call the tow No, no, we've got it. We've got it. And I wasn't winning the argument. And at some point, and this is well into my 20s, I shouted, I'm the big sister. <laughs> It still didn't win the argument, and they did fine, and they got the car out. But I just was like, at that point, like I could only hear my mother going, "Why'd you let your sister do that?" That's right? right? And I just this moment of like, you have to guard, you know, and not just again the brother or sister that you're related to, but all of humanity because they're all your brothers and sisters. Because they're all your brothers and sisters. So to take a life of any is fratricide, right? But also to guard a life of any is to guard the life of a family member. By the way, one of the things that's very ironic in this story is, are you your brother's guard? Okay. And Cain's name means acquire. Mm. He's, his name is mentioned almost twice as many times right. as Abel's. And, uh, and he acquires. And then all of a sudden, God says, where's your acquisition? And he says, I ain't got none. Mm. Ain't yeah. none. Who knows? And, right. and it, so that's, that's a superb irony there. Right. That, and, so, and the thing is that, that he leaves history by doing this. And it's an act of de-acquisition, as it were. Right. He's so concerned about the things that he had and the things that weren't accepted and his, his, his substance. And then all of a sudden, because of all that, he's not there. So I, I think this is also a subtle or not so subtle dig at materialism. Mm. Uh, I know, you know mm -hmm. I'm not a communist. Sure. But um, right. That there you have a person whose name is acquisition, and there you have a person whose name is Gurnish, and the one who's Gurnish is 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 divinely right. approved of, and the other one is not. Right. And then after he says, "Am I my brother's keeper?" Right. God's question is one of horror. What have you done? What did you do, Masita? Right. Called the Elai Mina Adama. Your brother's bloods are crying right. to me uh, right. from the ground. And tell us about that word for bloods. It's not just blood here and not just dam, but it's damim. Also, damim, it's plural, but it's also, if you say dame, the way it's spelled here, it's the word for money. Mm. Um, 
uh, another word for money. Mm-hmm. And so uh, if you have a membership fee or this, that, and that, it's called demay this, demay that, uh, the, the membership fee. Um, and the rabbis talk about one of the reasons why it's plural, right, is because when you take the life of a single individual, you're taking the life of all the generations to come. That's right. So it's not just the life of that one, but all all to come. And I've been thinking a lot about with some of the recent uh, bloodshed in our own land here in the United States and in Parkland, that these parents who have lost children um, aren't just mourning the loss of that one child. They're they're mourning everything that they thought was going to come through the life of that child, right? Um, And so some most of these kids being in later high school, right? And you've already watched them go to at least one dance or have one date and all those things. And you've thought to yourself as a parent, wow, someday, not too far, they're probably going to get married and maybe they'll have kids someday. And all of those thoughts of what they were going to live and what they're going to achieve in every generation to come is gone as a result of the loss of that kid. And that when parents mourn their children being gone, that the, the grief is so huge because it's not only one, right? Yep. So that, um, that picture here of for coming from Mishnah Sanhedrin 4 5 of whoever takes the, a single life destroys thereby an entire world um, is coming from this picture of the blood being plural. It's not, I mean, they, they, they had that idea. I'm not sure that, that the original author of the text sure. thought that. I think of it's course. a beautiful midrash, a beautiful sermon. Yeah. Um, because the word shofech damim, blood shedder, is, damim is, always, is not always plural, but right. mostly plural throughout right. the, the Bible. Right. So um, it's, it's a common phrase. But in the Noah's story, after they permission to eat blood, and says, to eat animals and not eat mm-hmm. blood, it says, then it says, shofech dam ha'adam ba'adam damo yishafech, mm. which is one of the great alliterative lines right. in the Bible, which is, the one who sheds the blood of a human, by humans shall their blood, blood be, be shed. shed. Yeah. And so, uh, but it's dumb. So it's, it's only dumb. one one yeah. blood. Yeah. You know, when uh, David, the place of David and Goliath, Goliath happens in Ephesdamin. Ephesdamin, right? no bloods. Yeah, bloody nothingness, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's an it's a interesting word study to go on through. So at the end of our story then, you know, where's your brother? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? What have you done? Your brother's blood's crying out from the ground, and now you're under a curse, right? Driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you, and you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Uh, Restless wanderer. So uh, (laughs) none of this... uh, I forget that there are a lot, there are a couple translations that have it in the Hebrew, like like the alliteration in the Hebrew. It's na vanad. Hmm. Na is wandering, and nod is wandering. So it's, um, and uh, as a matter of fact, nod is the word for a uh, mobile phone. <laughs> nayad, <laughs> nayad comes from the same word, um, and so it, it, you'll be wandering around. But the question is then now. And I remember reading this in uh, mm-hmm. in uh, Inherit the Wind, the, the play. So who is Cayenne worried about? Right. Who's going to kill him? Who's? Where are the other humans? Now, if you go back to my understanding that the creation of humanity in Genesis 1 is a different creation of humanity than in Genesis 2, mm-hmm. then there were other mm-hmm. Adams all running around. Sure. And this is a special set of Adams. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and that makes sense. And that's one of the reasons I wanted hmm. to get to there. It, was, it per- perturbed me so much when I read that. Who is he worried about? Right. There's got to be other people in the world. And I don't know 
what I mean, some of the, uh, the interpretations I've seen are that the animals will kill them because, hmm. well, there aren't any people. <laughs> right. Or uh, maybe this is the story that God wants us to have regarding the creation of the world, but it is not a comprehensive story of all of the scientific and historical events of the entire world. Oh, you think? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> that would be the other. The other thing that the rabbis say, by the way, is that every that both, that both all the kids that were born, Cain and Hevel and Seth, shit, right. uh, later on, uh, were born with a twin sister. Really? Well, That's where hilarious. were they good kids? <laughs> How would you have another generation <laughs> if there aren't any just women? Add a woman into the womb. We got it. Yeah, a woman. And a then, woman. And then an you, unnamed woman. An unnamed woman. Uh, so you have these these twins coming out, and that's why <laughs> incest is okay for the time being because you got to. Oh a dear pink. God! Well, I'll, I'll just sit with my. I'm very, I'm much more comfortable with. Uh, what are you going to do? This is one story that God is telling I know, that we want to know. I no. know. Well, it's very, like, if yes. you take the Bible. <laughs> as a literal history and all of the data as being scientifically right. firm. Then you have to figure out a lot of hoops to jump you got to bring some women in there somewhere. And the only <laughs> women you can get is either pre-created Adam from chapter one. Right. I like that better. Or, you know, so that the uh, Homo sapiens sapiens were, um, uh, were mating with the Neanderthals. Right. But uh, that's fine. But otherwise, um, oh, God, did I just mention evolution? So <laughs> That's it. There's another God's, going to, God's going to know next grieve that he's created the earth. <laughs> the, the, um, we don't know what the mark of Cain is, by the way. There's, there's no idea what that would be. But now, one thing that the rabbis ask is, uh, because they wanted to find, is there a, we have a holiday in the Bible that's not in the Torah. The only Bible holiday that's not in the Torah is Purim. Purim, which is mm-hmm. the Feast, Feast of, of Esther. Esther. And so the rabbis ask, Esther in Torah minayin. Where do you find Esther in the Torah? There must be an Esther in the Torah, in order for there to be a Purim. And most of them go to the end of Deuteronomy, where God says God will hide God's face hmm. in the word Sater, Sater, Astir at Panai, Astir Astir at Panai. Hide, I will hide my face. That's Esther, hmm. um, and there, and it's good because God is not mentioned mm-hmm. in the book of Esther mm-hmm. at all, at all. And, but but the first Esther is here, so it's actually in verse fourteen, and uh, and so Cain uh, uh, you've Cain uh, says you've you've uh, banished me today. May Alpane had him up from the face of the earth. Well, that's not true. We didn't kick him off the planet. Right. and from your face I will be hidden. Hmm. And so esater, if you take the vowels differently, it's Esther. Hmm. Just forget about that vowel in the middle. So there you have Esther. And not hmm. only that, but the book of Esther is about a purported genocide. Hmm. So that every it comes back to every the, single hmm. human that you kill, as you said, can right. create an entire universe. Right. Killing one person mm-hmm. is an ultimate genocide. Hmm. Just right then Interesting. and there. That's so not great. only is it fratricide, right. it's, it's a, a genocide, genocide if you right. look vertically down right. the, the, the f- generations. The line of the shirt. Right. Yeah. A couple things always strike me about this passage, right? That after God says this to Cain, Cain talks back, right? Finally, he talks back. He could have talked back a long time ago, right? To avoid all this, right? But now he's like, my punishment's more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land. I'm going to be hidden from your presence and a restless wanderer and whoever finds me will kill me. So one of the aspects I like to talk to people about already is, well, really, if God is this vengeful, wrathful God, that is unapproachable, then why is it that Cain gets to talk back to him? I mean, he's like 
quite literally, according to the story, the only other human on the face of the earth, and he's just killed the other human on the face of the earth, right? And he still can stand before God and have a conversation. And so this same, same too with Adam and Eve, right? They've had... They've done all this chaos, but they can still have this conversation with God. And how different that is from Greco-Roman gods and all these other, like, you know, Zeus who rides in on the clouds or, like, thunderous gods. It's just, you know, all of that kind of fear and madness. This is not what we find here in these stories. We find a God that is approachable and that can have a conversation, and even after we've done wrong. So for me, a lot still of this— still giving you advice how to do better. Right. Grace and mercy and all of that. And that— is a bit into my um, New Testament story. The disciples are talking to Jesus and they ask him, you know, well, how many times do I need to forgive somebody who, a brother or sister who sins against me? And they ask Jesus this in Matthew 18. Peter asks up to seven times, like the same number of, as Cain. And Jesus answers, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven, which I think there's also echoes of this and right here. In, in here and also in Talmud, um, where other rabbis said the same thing. Like, you have to keep forgiving your brother over and over and over and over and over and over again, right? You don't just go, well, that was the sixth time, you know, like cats, nine lives, that's it, that there's this... Well, actually, there's a limit. There is a limit. Three. Why? Because you do it once, you do it twice. The third time actually establishes something. Hmm. It's like a tripod. Um, there are a lot of threes. So if you've done it, if you try to appease somebody twice and they won't take it, and especially on the third time, then you're not obligated anymore. Hmm. It's their sin. Hmm. If they are unforgiving and you've, I mean, you've really done your work, you know, it's not right. like, a, oh, I, I, I apologize for anybody I might have offended. I mean, right. kind of right. lame right. excuses that come right. out nowadays right. are just insane. But, right. but if you actually do go with yeah. your heart in your hand and, um, there's also a phrase in the in the in, in the in the Pirkei Avot in the Mishnah. It says, "Don't try to comfort somebody when their dead is lying in front of them." That mm. is, you can't, you know. Oh, I'm sorry, I killed your kid. <laughs> right. Oh, well, you know, you have to have some tact, right. and some sense, and some right. some patience. But um, but the uh, ultimately, you don't have to try to appease anybody more than three times. Well, and I think that there's a difference between. Um, trying to forgive and trying to find reconciliation and allowing the person to continue to harm you, mm-hmm. right? There's an Arabic proverb that says, forgive, but tie up your camel. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and I like that idea, right? Like you can, you can not... Trust, can, but verify. Right, or, or you're still trying to make sure that you're open to finding a way through to reconciliation, but that doesn't mean that you have to continue to be in a place of harm. That's not required, nor is that encouraged. And... Um, in Matthew chapter 5, I like to think that Jesus is probably also talking a little bit about um, the conversation here is about murder, right? And um, it's right after the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. And there he says, you know, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember there that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go be reconciled to them and then come off your gift. Well, if Hevel had followed this advice, maybe he would have not met such an untimely end, right? That when we are coming before God, that part of how we are to come before God is to have reconciliation be part of that story. Now, that doesn't mean that you always find it, but that in this place, at this in this moment, and some of these teachings of Jesus, that the the desire or the intent is to still go and, ter- and try first, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, on, a, on, a, on a level, on the, the, later on uh, in this chapter, verse 25, it says, uh, 
Adam owed it Ishto, and and the man and woman knew each other again, and mm. they had another kid, and they named him Shet, which means to put. Another word for put, because they put him there. In, in right. Shatli Elohim Zera Acher. God put me another, gave me another uh, seed in place of Tachat Havel, Hevel, in in in, in uh, place of Hevel. Then it goes on and says Kihargo Kain, because whom <laughs> whom Cain killed. Right. And I'm going like, okay, you know that's. You know, people who just won't let go. They can't let go. They can't let go. And I understand that. Here you have one kid, and your other kid kills him. Right. And then you have a third kid, and you go, to replace the kid that the other kid killed. <laughs> and right. and that's not good. But, you know, it, there are people who just dwell on it and dwell on it. Yeah. Like, because... Uh, um, that's when God said to Moses, uh, go up there and make a new set of uh, tablets to replace the ones that you broke. That you broke. <laughs> well, Moses, to be fair, Moses is always like, your people. Your people, I know. <laughs> These crazy people that you brought out of Egypt. There are a lot of things to learn in the Torah, and not all <laughs> yeah. of them are from good examples. <laughs> no, sometimes it's what not to do. Yep. And ultimately, I think this story is telling us that all human life is sacred, that um, blood cries out to God, that it requires an accounting and that we need to guard one another and guard the humanity of one another. Amen. <laughs>